Hello, everyone, and welcome to Strip Search, the comic strip podcast. I'm Pete Chieka. We are actually taking the month of June off from recording a new podcast. We'll be out enjoying this very nice weather, and I hope you will, too. But never fear, we'll be back in July with a doubleheader, a twofer, two separate new episodes of Strip Search with two very special cartoonist guests. And in the meantime, we are presenting a rerun for you. One of our best episodes ever, if I do say so myself. This is our December visit with Mark Parisi, who is the nationally syndicated cartoonist behind Off the Mark, and also the author of the Marty Pants book series. And he talks about both of those things in the interview that Dave London and I did with him back around Christmas time of last year. So enjoy that. Make sure to check out the new issue of comic strip cartoonist magazine which we always like to give a little plug here on our show you can find a link to it and everything else you need to know about the podcast and about our comic strip pet peeves at petpeevescomic.com and now your rerun hi everybody welcome to the latest episode of strip search the comic strip podcast i'm pete Yanka, and i'm here with my good friend and associate mr dave london hello dave hey folks hey uh, uh, we're very excited to be here. Uh, we have a, a terrific guest um, for our uh, second episode here, um, Mr. Mark Parisi, who um, is an actual uh, cartoonist. His panel, Off the Mark, appears in uh, many newspapers around the country. He's also going to talk to us about his new book, and uh, we're going to have him in, in a minute. But in the meantime, how are you doing, Dave? I'm doing well, Pete. Thanks for, uh, I was going to say thanks for having me on, but I guess I'm not the guest. <laughs> you, no, you have to be here, pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> so, so well, let me ask you this. So, um, speaking about uh, cartoonists and cartooning, so have you been following any uh, strips lately? What are you reading these days? I have to say, I, um, I, I, I'm really uh, getting into the New Bloom County, which uh, we talked a little bit about this last time. You know, Burke Brother just decided to, to come back and do it basically on Facebook, um, and he's making his money selling, you know, $300 uh, deluxe editions of his of his collected strips and, and artwork uh, so he doesn't need to make money on the strip but if you if you haven't seen it i would go back um and look at the last he, he's doing a great job i think with this um sort of the me too movement and the um you know the sort of the sexual harassment that's in the news which is not intrinsically a funny subject but they happen to have a serial sexual harasser as a regular um character in the strip in steve dallas uh, and he's done a pretty a pretty funny job walk at that tightrope um, to address that issue, and uh, he's even managed to um, uh, sort of shoehorn some uh, holiday favorites in there with an appearance. Uh, Charlie Brown and Snoopy make a, uh, a guest appearance, um, unbeknownst, I'm sure, to the um, Charles Schultz estate. So I, I'd recommend checking that one out. I will do that. Thank you. Um, okay, well, we don't want to uh, waste any more time because Mark Parisi is here, and uh, we're really eager to sit down with him. So right after this commercial break, come on back, and you can hear what he has to say. Stay tuned. Okay, we're back. Thank you for joining us here on the Strip Search Podcast. We are super excited about our next guest. We have joining us Mark Parisi, who you know, I'm sure, from his uh, daily panel, Off the Mark which uh, has, has been a local fixture, certainly where we are in the Boston area for many years, uh, 30 years to be exact, and we're going to talk about that. 
um, and nationally as as well. And he is a newly published author um, with the book Marty Pants, which is a, a book for young readers, which is gets gets the strip search seal of approval. It's terrific. Uh, so, Mark, thank you so much for coming today. Oh, thanks for having me. You know, I can't. Thirty years. <laughs> How did that happen? <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. I, I did not expect um, to be doing this and making money for, the, for this long. So I, I don't have a good answer for that. Yeah, it's. A, I mean, did you think that far in the future when you started it? So it's, you know, you're obviously you're a fledgling cartoonist. You have some wacky ideas and we should, you know, for people who haven't seen it, it's a, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a panel without regular characters. Um, just the, you know, it's off the mark. It's... It's just slightly askew um, in its view of life. I think it's it's really one of the funniest panels out there. And it was, oh, thank you. Uh, and, and sort of where it timed in, it sort of uh, um, was the far side still going when you launched. It was just yes. about overlapped. It, well, yeah, there's there was an overlap, and um, I think when um, Larson retired, I had those um, stars in my eyes, like. Maybe I can be the new Lars and I can fill in all those spots in the newspaper and I can, you know, have this skyrocketing um, rocket to fame. But, <laughs> Did that but happen? you know, it didn't, didn't happen. <laughs> but, you know, so that, so I think we, um, to kind of answer your, your question you started with was I part of me thought this is not going to go anywhere. But there's always this part that goes this could really take off. Mm-hmm. And it just I guess it's somewhere in between there. Yeah. So from a strip versus panel standpoint, obviously the far side was a panel. Did you make a conscious decision to do the panel, or did you ever think you were going to uh, do a strip format? I, When I was, before I did Off the Mark, I wanted to do a cartoon, and I tried to do a strip. And, I, of course, I, what's not in the newspaper? Fish. I don't see fish. <laughs> so I did a cartoon about fish, and basically I didn't know how to develop characters. I, I was just doing gags and puns and it wasn't going anywhere and um i wasn't sure how to write strips but when the far side came out i looked at it and instantly go that that's my humor that's the type of humor that clicks and that i could do so i started doing a panel and it worked it just worked with the way my brain worked I mean, I've I've always felt it was a, a logical heir to the to the far side because it is that type of humor, and it's but it's not, you know, some people seem to um, sort of want to take it to its furthest extreme to the point where you don't really even know where they're where they're coming from. You have to, you know, it's it's okay to have to think about the joke, but not that much. <laughs> uh, whereas I, I felt like yours was always, you know, it, you just you got the joke. It it, it was immediately funny. But like I said, just off kilter enough to really sort of keep you guessing. I'm glad you're saying that because I get so many emails or comments on social media saying, I don't get it. Or <laughs> what's the, their, their eye just isn't going the right place. And I think, well, I'm not trying to make it hard. You know, just follow the logic. So as far as writing the gags, what's your process? Do you just like hide in a corner, turn off your iPhone and... Uh... Uh, I should turn off my iPhone. I don't. <laughs> but I usually go to a cafe, Barnes & Noble cafe, and sit down, bring a notebook. And the comp- I never used to bring a computer. It used to just be the notebook. But now I bring a computer and the phone so that there's a little bit of, you know, distraction going on there. And just all day sit there and try to come up with um, subject matter, characters, or 
whatever and see if I can make some connections and come up with some jokes. And sometimes it's successful. And sometimes I just feel like I wasted the whole day drinking coffee. And now I know that uh, you currently draw electronically, but can you talk about your transition going from the old school paper and pen format and how you came to decide to switch over to um, computer drawing? Yeah, I used to always, of course, it was before computer drawing. So it would be pen and ink and what Pro quill, call, you know, yeah, tablet. Oh, no, it was um, <laughs> uh, repetograph pens. <laughs> And Zipatone, if you remember what that we, is. We know if well. Anyone listening remembers, <laughs> but basically like, almost like a color form sticker that you place patterns on your work. And so the first step to come to going digital was not using Zipatone and adding shading on with Photoshop. And so I was still drawing and scanning, and then I would just do the electronic Zipatone. To me, that was a huge step. But then at a certain point, um, and it was because of the Marty Pants books that I'm doing, where, where um, off the mark I draw, but with the Marty Pants books, I had to draw hundreds of cartoons per book. And it just wasn't uh, time effective to draw and scan and jump back and forth between drawing and scanning and on the computer. And I had friends, cartoon friends, for years telling me, you have to go electronic, get the Cintiq, get the Cintiq. Get the, and, and I have a, um, I think I have a stiff learning curve for Thing, so I really didn't want to do it, but I felt like, okay, now I have to commit. I have, I need to be more efficient. This is just too much work. And so now I draw on a um, 22-inch Cintiq tablet, and I couldn't believe how quickly I transitioned to be able to do it. So it's actually a lot easier for even someone stupid like me or, or different color, <laughs> uh, you know. And then, not, not that I'm not um, computer literate, but, you know, a lot of times it takes me a while. And then uh, how do you get the cartoon to the syndicate for publishing? You, I'm assuming it originally you just would FedEx and then that process changed? Yeah, I used, I used to just mail it. But now it's, yeah, now it's um, FTP. Just drag the cartoon overs and over and drop them in a little box. And it's, and it's there. So the time saving <laughs> is uh, immense now, I guess? Yeah. Um, what's it? Uh, Jeff McNelly was talking um, years ago. When he and was he, alive. When he was alive, <laughs> right. yeah, not recently. Yeah. <laughs> and he talked about how um, when he first digitally gave the syndicates the cartoons, how much time he saved once. <laughs> After that, it's, it's you're somehow on the same it's, schedule. Somehow right, right. fills in. <laughs> yeah. <you know. laughs> Uh, wait, at what point did you did you feel like now when you started you were self syndicated is that right, right? You, right. You, so how did that work you're basically just banging on doors in addition to coming up with the ideas and drawing and trying to get people to pick this thing up yeah the first newspaper was one that I worked at so I already knew the editor and so I had a little bit of an in and so I called up and I said hey I draw this cartoon and uh, with Selma Williams, uh, No Show Weeklies. I know Selma well. Yeah, yes. she's, she's great. Yeah, so she's uh, she terrific. said, oh, come on in. And I thought she was just being polite, yeah, but she probably was. And then she looked over the cartoons, and I could tell she liked some of them, most of them. You know, she would, I don't know about this one you're reaching. <laughs> but And so she, I got a call back, and it was, I believe, like, what do you think of $25 per publication? And I... Uh, Instead of going, yeah, I go, let me think about it. <laughs> but I called back. I was, I was just so excited just because that was my first try. Mm-hmm. And I was already getting paid to be in a newspaper. So then it just, 
And it was instantly in, I can't remember, like seven newspapers because they had the chain right, of... Right, nice little... little yeah, it's not it was weekly. Today, but <laughs> yeah, it was yeah. weekly, but that was all, about all I could handle at the time anyway. And then so I started looking for more weekly papers in the area or weekly comic newspapers, which there were more which than they had, then. They had at that yeah, time. Yeah, they were all over the country. So, you know, you sort of alluded to it, but there were more newspapers 30 years ago than there are now. What is your experience with the way um, the the market for cartoon work has changed over the years that you've been doing this? It's a lot more difficult. There are fewer papers and fewer competing papers in communities, so you don't have Boston's one of the few communities, big cities that have two competing newspapers. For the moment. Yes. <laughs> And uh, so they're, they're a lot fewer and they have less money and the syndicates take way fewer cartoons than they used to. I don't know how many of these to take a year. If they take one, one new cartoon a year, it seems like a lot. But now you have the web and so you, a lot of people just throw up their cartoons on the web and they figure out ways to make money through advertising or few, through um, selling products or, you know, so there's, it's, it's a double-edged sword. You, you lose one um, form of distribution income. And now you've got this new one, which everyone's still trying to figure out because a lot of people are um, not making money on it. But there are some people who are doing very well. And speaking of the web, do you find that, uh, do you like the fact that there's sort of this avenue now? And in one way, I maybe will ask the question is, cartooning can be kind of solitary. You're sitting at home doing it and back in the old days you weren't necessarily talking to people and now there's a way to communicate with other cartoonists out there is that something that you've used as a way to uh, reach out to other folks in the industry um you mean on social media social media yeah sure yeah i mean it, it definitely kind of um adds to a little bit of camaraderie to have um people that you can just contact very easily and either um, you know, privately or uh, publicly on social media. You've, you also see the work of what other people are doing, and I feel like more colleagues are seeing my work and I'm seeing their work. So you kind of understand who's doing what and kind of connect faces with art. And if you need a tip, I've, I had trouble with the um, Cintiq that I draw on because I updated my OS and then it wasn't working, and that was how I was able to solve it. It's such a the internet has been such a disruptor in so many ways. You know that's the term that they, yeah, they use in, yeah. the, in the in the various industries in which it has disrupted. Um, and I know I can't believe how many um, strips and panels there are out there on the web. A lot of them very very good. Yeah. Um, by people who are clearly there. You know maybe they hope to make money from it someday, but for now they they seem to be doing it as a hobby or out of the love of it or just to get there their work out there so you know I, I i imagine the the people who have been around for a while or are syndicated are sort of holding on you know like grim death to those <laughs> syndication slots because they're so hard to get it's tough it's tough and uh, a lot of times uh, unless you're in a lot of newspapers and a lot of large newspapers it seems like you need more sources of income so uh, you know with greeting cards or right. reprints or any anything um custom you know, just because it is kind of a market that seems so tenuous. Mm-hmm. You know, you don't know where it's going. You don't know. And the web, you can um, make money. For a while, I was doing very well with reprints on on the web. I had a, 
the website was set up perfectly for Google. If, if someone was searching, I want workplace cartoons, I want dentist cartoons, my cartoons would come up on the first page. Right. And then, but through some changes of the algorithm and all that, now I'm, I don't know what page I'm on anymore. So hate that you algorithm. don't, you, right? right. <laughs> Such a pain. So you don't know, even if something works, it can change overnight. Mm-hmm. So it just it changes so quickly. You don't really know. I think a lot of people who have really hit it, just the timing and the luck was just right there right. for the, them. The luck ball, as Steve Martin called it years ago. I remember an interview about how he made it. He talked about talent, and he said, you got to get hit by that luck ball no matter, yeah. no matter who you are. Right, you can have the talent and never get hit by that luck ball, but <laughs> if, um, if that comes by and you have the talent, yeah, no telling how far it can go. You had referred to uh, one market being greeting cards. I know I see your work a lot out there in the, uh, you know, uh, uh, greeting card productions. How does that work? Mm-hmm. Do you, do your uh, does the syndicate handle the greeting card, or do you have a role in that? What's the way that you get the market going? Uh, yeah, the syndicate doesn't um, uh, have a hand in that. Actually, it's it's something that I work directly with the um, the, the greeting card company. So basically, I do the card the off the mark single panel cartoons, and then they will send out emails to their um, artists and say, okay, we're looking for birthday and these are the subject matters and images and type of humor, you know, that type of thing. Or we might want one birthday from the cat, birthday from the dog, birthday, (laughs) general birthday. And so I'll just go through my cartoons and try to figure out which ones, um, usually not which ones are the funniest. I mean, not usually not which ones are uh, birthday oriented, but which ones are the funniest. And then try to uh, write a caption for the inside, and I'll send a batch of 30, 50 cards, and then they'll, if they like some, they'll tell me. So these are previously published off-the-mark gags? That Yes. Right. Now, do you see your, you come across uh, your work in places that uh, you did not authorize it to be very often? Oh, I, I the think time. that must be a like huge issue. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, um, there are a lot of, oh, of course, on the web, everyone uses it without being authorized and there's no way to really police that i right. mean if it, especially if it's a personal site i don't really care but occasionally there'll be a business site that's using it to promote their company or there'll be this joke site that'll put their name on my cartoon oh, take that's, off my name that's outright theft you could you could give people some benefit of the doubt but not the case like that. Yeah, and it used to be, you know, it used to really go after these people, but sometimes it's it's just it's swimming upstream, and <laughs> and the people are real um, dicks. A lot, a lot of people. I was I was trying to think, like, am I on the radio? I, I can say that. <laughs> we can yeah. always believe you later. <laughs> it's like cable. <laughs> and some people don't know. I mean, there'll be that one person who finds my cartoon, takes up all the information, and then all these other people see that cartoon right. with all the information stripped off, and that's the one that goes viral. Right, right, of course. No, it is. I mean, that's another sort of downside of, of the web. It's so easy uh, you know, for somebody to swipe something. Yeah. Um, you know. But a lot, there are a lot of tattlers out there. A lot of people will say, hey, this person's using it, that yeah. person's using it, that person took your name off. Well, that's good. Yeah, it's good to have that support, even if I can't really do much about it. <laughs> right, you can yell at them. <laughs> yeah. Shame, shame them. 
with your popularity, I, I know you oh, get uh, well. I, I know you get a lot of people who uh, presumably email you or, or send you letters. Um, I don't know if people actually write letters anymore, but email about how much they like the strip and and things like that. But I know you also get the opposite. You get people who write about uh, you know sort of negative comments. Do you have any particularly oh, never. never? Do you have any particularly <laughs> memorable sort of episodes where somebody wrote something to you or some episode that sticks out in your mind? Oh, so many, so many. Um... The the one that always seems to stick in my mind, there was one, or, or a couple, there, there was one person who wrote, I can't remember what it was, but it was a an email that was very well written. Like if, if they're written kind of by an illiterate or something, it doesn't <laughs> hurt as much, but this one was very well structured. And, uh, you know, and I was like, oh, it caught me. And so uh, my response to him was like one word. It was an email, and I, I just wrote, ouch. And he came back with this very contrite, oh, um, <laughs> all of a sudden he was my best friend. Like I, and um, I was like, wow, that was a great response. I, I have to remember that. So I got another email where someone was cutting me down, ripping me apart. And so I go, oh, I know how I'm going to respond. So I just wrote, ouch. And I got a one-word response back that was just die. <laughs> I said, okay, maybe, that, maybe that's not. <laughs> maybe that's not the best. Maybe not. I mean, and you can't reply to everybody. I'm assuming there's no. just too much. I mean, it depends. I mean, I try to. If if there's some people just don't deserve a reply, but well, especially on social media, not like with an email, I will I will usually reply with comments. Uh, they can go they can go all over the place. So. There are, especially on Instagram, I find, uh, I'll go back to the word dick again. There are a lot of dicks on Instagram. And I think basically. We call them millennials. Yeah, and I think that's why, because the age um, is way lower on Instagram than anywhere else. So they don't really have maturity and they don't really have understanding of certain life situations yet, but they think they know everything. So, uh, not that I'm against millennials. If I was growing up now, I'd be a complete. Millennial, just like <laughs> you'd be but, a dick. But now they have this form. Form, and if they, if for whatever reason, they get upset because they don't understand the cartoon, they'll attack one way right, or another. It's a personal affront to them. That, yeah, that, yeah. And I'm like, wow, you've gone out of your like, way I don't to get fool this on them. Twitter or Facebook, but for some reason, and they feel like they must comment whether they have something to say or not. You see that a lot more of that on Instagram than, than yeah. Other so yeah, yeah, and and occasionally I used to respond. And sometimes, like, why am I even going there? It's not. It's not worth <laughs> yeah, it. Yeah, don't get sucked in. But no, I'm not saying I'm not saying all millennials are bad or all Instagram is bad. It's been really good, and and there's a lot of smart people. But I'm just saying the the degree, the the ratio is a little higher of um, just right. strange responses. Don't go on Reddit. See, that was. <laughs> I have a friend who's on Reddit, and he almost cried. <laughs> Yeah, there's a reputation. I don't spend a lot of time there, but yes, reputation for for being very harsh on on Reddit. Yeah, some of these these dark underbellies of the web, you you just want to steer steer clear, stay stay to our nice our nice comfortable. Yeah, most people. Yeah, most people are very just you know effusive, not but very nice, very supportive. But there's always that. I mean, I guess in society in general. Yes, but we're we're living in a very um, uh, contentious time 
You think? I guess. Yeah. <laughs> but but you would think something like this, you know, you just try to make people laugh. Is there a nobler goal? You know, <laughs> you, really gotta, you really gotta, you know, try to take somebody down who just wants to make people happy. I think part of it on, um, I, I would get this response over and over. I haven't seen it lately, but if I did, a, if I do cartoons about a phone on Instagram, that's where I get the backlash because everyone thinks I'm anti-phone. <laughs> What you you posted this with a phone, didn't you? Isn't that ironic? Isn't that hypocritical? I'm like, I love my phone. I'm not. I'm just commenting on the uh, proliferation of phones. I'm not saying they're evil. So I, I'll get both responses where older generation will go, Yeah, phones ruin society, and the young people say, How how come you hate phones so much? I'm like, No, I'm not on either side of that. I'll I'll do cartoons about cats. I don't hate cats. <laughs> They're Come just, on, really? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you can tell us. <laughs> I love cats. Yeah. Well, I wanted before um, we run out of time, we definitely do want to talk a little bit about your book. And we, you know, you were talking before about how cartoonists have had to find um, ways to um, sort of uh, spread out and do do different things. And, and last time we talked, you had mentioned about this being sort of a you know a burgeoning market for cartoonists particularly the type of book um that you've been writing why don't you just talk a little bit about you know what type of book that is and sort of how you got into that yeah it's um called a it's called different things a hybrid book or um i basically just call it wimpy kid style book because um jeff kinney kind of defined the whole the whole genre but it's basically um a chapter book that is um half text and half cartoons and usually funny and so i had seen those uh books in uh bookstores and thought wow that would be a fun if i was going to do a book it wouldn't be a regular text well not textbook but chapter book yeah prose because i don't want to write that much and i don't want to draw an entire book either but this was like back and forth it looked like it looked fun but i didn't have an agent i didn't know how to actually do the process like do i have to write one and then find out (laughs) no one wants it i could the whole idea just seemed like a good one but i didn't want to actually take the effort (laughs) but then i got an email from a children's editor at harper collins said hey have you ever thought of doing a wimpy kid timmy failure big name yes (laughs) and so i started sending him chapter um chapters and he gave me feedback and chapters and it took maybe two years until i um had the book done and uh, which is i think different than the way most people do it because usually um you'll have an outline i think first few chapters instead of actually writing the entire because i never contract with him basically he was just giving me feedback and then i had the book written right and so then after the book was done he started going through um he would have to show it to uh what the publisher and then the editorial board and then acquisitions and that type of thing and he came back and said congratulations you have a three book deal i was like yay and i'm like what three i have to do two more so uh it was very exciting because i didn't know he didn't say right out um you know this for a three book deal i thought it was one and then if that does well okay we'll do two so um, it was it was very exciting to know they wanted to commit to a series, right. and terrifying because I didn't know if I could do it again. I felt like I put everything, all my ideas, <laughs> everything into this, and then oh, you have eight months to do another one, 
And um, so actually the other one's coming out um, February 6th. Terrific. Uh, Marty Pants. Um, um, keep your paws off. Yeah, I actually forgot the name. And number three is underway. I'm, I'm yeah, that's done. That's pretty much done. It's in the editing process, and that that was murder to to write that one. Really, that was behind deadline. Yeah, I was. Well, because you're promoting the first book now, and trying, and I assume we're trying to finish the third yeah, book. Yeah, there's you. There, uh, like the first one. Uh, I'm still doing promotion on that. So basically, yeah, you work on all three books of one aspect at the same time. So you're like writing one, editing one, um, promoting one, and then things will come back at different stages and also doing the cartoons. And, uh, you know, it got overwhelming for a while. And I, I, I just didn't know where I was going with the third book. I felt like, okay, the first book went somewhere. The second book went somewhere. Now what? Now what book three <laughs> supposed to do? And uh, so it was very, very uh, rewarding to actually be able to... So, so as part of the uh, promotion, you, you travel around the country, right, uh, doing uh, book tours, I think. Uh, yeah, not not as much as I I would like, but uh, well, the first the first um, book had a, uh, a book tour, so they you know, all these book tours. Not and this is a this is a minor book. The you know someone picked me up at my house, drove me to a place in Rhode Island, spoke there, like he knew my schedule and he drove me to the airport and i got picked up by someone holding a sign that said parisi <laughs> took picked me in a limo drove me to the hotel which was paid for the next day another um, media escort they're called picked me up drove knew my schedule drove me to the schools where all the kids were there and they they all you know a bunch of them had already ordered my book and then drove me to another school mm-hmm. dropped me off at the airport another person picked me up with a sign you know so that whole process repeated I'm like, wow, some people live this way. <laughs> but with this book, they're not um, doing the book tour. So I have to do that uh, myself, which is not um, undoable. Is that a word? Which is doable. <laughs> because with the, with the last book tour, I still tacked on um, schools and libraries and, and bookstores around here. So for the next book tour, um, drumming up all the, um, you know, the tour myself but i know how it works now, now i just don't have one anyone driving me around <laughs> dave's <laughs> available <laughs> uh, i'll get my uber license but. so uh, how does uh, working on the book and doing the book tour affect that your timing that you need to work on your strip do you have to work later hours or weekends to, to allocate time for the first book um i go i start coming and I'm like, okay, I'm going to try to get ahead. And I, for some reason, I can only get so far ahead. I have friends who are months, months ahead, six months. So I, I, it doesn't really compute. I don't know how people do that. I feel like I can only put out so much work before my head just doesn't do it anymore. But with this, the second, so I, so I had a little, I had a little cushion which I've since used up, and so now. Um, I just did um, the January cartoons, and I sent them in later, like a week later than I usually do. So there, there's this kind of uh, panic. Is that the word? There, there's this kind of pressure and um, to just squeeze it in when, when I can and hope I'm putting out quality work and not phoning it in because... Like you said, you, you, you only have so much time, so you, you do what you can on the weekend, you do what you can, you stay up. I stayed up till like 3 o'clock. I'll stay up and 
try to get them done. And if if you're blocked, there's there's only so much you can you can do. So I find it it just goes in cycles. Like there'll be a time where I'm uncomfortable and I'll be able to get enough done, and I just have to get through that time where uh, I can't do it. But right now I had I had a nice little reprieve where I haven't really had to work on anything of the book for a while. Like book, I don't know if it's because the holidays are here, but book three, they haven't asked for an edit yet. I think book two is already at the printers. I thought I was going to edit it one more time. I thought I could make changes still, but I, I might be done. Change the ending. <laughs> yeah, and I haven't, you know, I haven't done any talks recently for, the, for book one, you know, with, with everything, you know, the holidays, everything. So... I've been able to focus on, um, but I I've, I just had to do a ton of greeting card ideas, and it's this custom job I can't do, and so there's always, you know, you're a cartoonist, so you probably have these type of things that, that help come in at once sometimes. So anything else down the pike that uh, you ha- you can uh, talk about that you're looking towards? Any other projects that uh, are in the works? That's not enough. You want more? <laughs> no. I was going to say, Dave, are you trying to kill him? No, um, I'm just hoping that the book does well enough. Well, you know, the second book does well enough, so they decide to extend the uh, contract. You know, it's, it was for three books, and if they sell well enough, then I think the tendency is to say, okay, we'll do two more books, three more books, or whatever. And so I'm starting to really like the the characters. Okay, we're back finishing up with Mark Parisi from uh, Off the Mark and the Marty Pants books, which, by the way, uh, we didn't get into to the plot. I'll leave it up uh, to you guys to figure out, but... Highly recommended whether you have kids or not. You know, people where uh, it's the type of book where you find yourself, you know, giggling out loud, just reading it to yourself, even as a as a grown up. Um, so definitely run out to wherever wherever good books are sold. Where is that these days? <laughs> yeah, they used to have bookstores. I don't know anymore. Yeah, there, there's still there's still bookstores around. That's I'm hoping that that um, stays. That that's one of the things I worry about too. I worry about cards disappearing. I worry about books disappearing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Now you went down to Jeff Kenny's bookstore to to promote this at one point. Uh, yeah. Is that, yeah. I haven't been down there. It, it looks like it's a, just a very my, cool uh, operation he's got. Yeah, that was my that was my first time, and um, I'd mean, been meaning to go. And Kim who works. It was very nice. And the, the, the first floor is the bookstore. The second floor is where they have presentations, so there'll be screen and seats and everything. And the third floor, Jeff Kenny has um, a workspace office up there. So oh, nice. And she gave me the tour. And so I got to go upstairs to the third floor and uh, ride on Jeff Kinney's Segway, which he has around there. Well, you know, I hope he didn't mind. He wasn't there. So, so maybe since, since Dave clearly thinks you're not doing enough, that's something you could do <laughs> here on the North Shore to open a bookstore. We could we could use another one. Yeah, um, all three of us can go in. <laughs> yeah, why not? It's always been a little dream of mine. Books and records. We'll put them put them together. Yeah, the records are back. Yeah. Oh yeah. I think that uh, that would be a nice combination. Um, so before we go with something we like to ask our guests, um, you know, Dave and I started our very first show talking about our Desert Island comic strips. If we were stuck somewhere and had to bring a uh, collect the collected works of one classic comic strip from history, what would it be? So uh, we'll throw the question to you. If you had to, to pick your, your favorite, what would it, uh, which one would you pick? I, it would have to be uh, The Far Side, Gary Larson. I think that is... The uh, cartoon that kind of hit me at the core more than any other cartoon. Um, 
But now that I think about it, maybe I should pick something with more words. I can be reading <laughs> the whole time. He's, you know, that's mostly picture oriented. That's I, true. I would, I would should pick some like graphic novel. I don't know something that who's the. I guess it'd be Kathy because there's so many words. A lot you'd of words. A lot of acts. Reading. They're mostly act. Though. Yeah, you'd be. <laughs> you'd, you'd be there for years. You'd still be reading the first few strips. You'd have to go back to like Pogo or something <laughs> to get to get a, a lot of words. Um, yeah, it's it's. So uh, we were we had such a hard time narrowing it down. The far side was on both both of our lists. It was just such a groundbreaker, uh, you know, back in the day. And I'm actually there's a far side um, group on Facebook that I that I join where people just post without permission. Yeah, uh, far side, yeah. you know, and, and talk about them. And there's so many that I, I either I missed or I, I couldn't remember them, and they're just as funny now. Uh, yeah, the one, that, offbeat. the one that always um, stood out for me was um, there, there were a bunch of uh, forest animals. And um, it'll be like a bunny and a deer, and I, I can't remember. They're all sitting around t- talking, and uh, the bunny says, well, I was n- – I can't remember the, the actual words. Well, I was nibbling on uh, clover behind the tree, and the other one says, well, I was doing this, and I was um, prancing through the – and the deer says, <laughs> oh, I was – and then the bottom is um, – the uh, something about this is terrible because I can't actually remember the words. <laughs> um, the forest animals reminisce about where they were when they heard Bambi's mother shot. <laughs> <laughs> well, what better way to end than, than on that note, Mark? Thank you so much for thank you very much coming in. And again, uh, make sure to check out Off the Mark in your uh, uh, local newspaper and Marty Pants at uh, your local bookstore. And very. Good luck with the uh, with the rest of the series. Oh, thank you very much. This was fun. All right, terrific.